Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Communitas Podcast, where we share stories and insights on culture, the church, and living on the missional frontier. I'm Jeff Reinhardt, President of Communitas International. Andrea Asher, Chief Mobilization Director, co-hosts. We interview guests from around the world who are striving to transform lives and communities through writing and living on mission. Let's start the show. Sitting here with Dan Steigerwald on my Zoom machine here. Dan, what a great privilege it is to have you uh, with us on the Communitas podcast. And you've got quite a history uh, with the organization. Uh, you're the author of several books and have been a dear friend, coach, mentor to me in my church planting efforts. Um, so it's great to have you with us. And I'm hoping today we can have some conversation around uh, seeking communion, community, and mission in a post-everything world. So um, I know you've got a lot of insights on that and have worked with a number of, of church planters uh, currently uh, and in the past. But why don't you give us a, a little bit, a brief history of, of your work, uh, most likely with Communitas and some of the things that have happened there over the years. Sure, Jeff. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, I love the Communitas community. Actually, my work with Communitas started back in the late 90s, you know, with church planning, um, while working with Crossroads Amsterdam at the time, Linus Morris hooked me in through Tyndale Seminary, through the practical side of things, uh, and we were living in The Hague at the time, and that led to a church plant eventually um, in The Hague that I pastored for uh, seven years with a lot of missionary teams rolling in and out. Uh, that, that church just had its 25th anniversary. Some may not know that. It was so beautiful. I mean, Miriam Phillips and the, the staff did such a wonderful job and uh, reliving and recounting all the ways uh, God has faithfully led that community through multiple layers of leadership or uh, regimes of leadership. That has been really um, a blessing. But what I've done mostly you know, through community talks, came back to, I shouldn't say came back because the culture I uh, knew didn't exist after living almost 20 years in Europe, but we yeah. came to Portland, Oregon. Um, my heart, heart's love is, is for the earth and the green and the life in the Pacific Northwest is so amenable to my health and spiritual vitality. Anne is from Vancouver, BC, so we're in her terrain. But I continued to work with Communitas after being on um, church planning and working on the Europe team a number of years, church, you know, coaching church planners across Europe, but also observing the way my brain works. I, I like to observe patterns. A lot of those are anecdotal, and um, I, I don't have the, the patience uh, for a PhD kind of research on on uh, certain things, but some of the things and patterns I have seen have proved to be very helpful to people, and that includes missionary method, you know, in terms of practical uh, expression of that. It includes helping our organization arrive at some consistent uh, definitions of our six dynamics and how they're uh, applied and expressed and how they work together. Um, so I've enjoyed the, the writing along the way, working with church planners and coaching since I came to Portland. Much of what I'm doing is coaching and training church planters, uh, 
you know, continuing to work across organizations. I have found that, interestingly, Jeff, I'll just throw this in here because it's been an awareness thing for me in the past year. Well, even before that, well before that. But I remembered certain people saying to me, uh, when I worked outside Communitas with some mainline groups, why are you prostituting yourself to these, uh, you know, almost in a sense, apostate organizations, but I was working and, and too with the apostolic arm of those groups Yes, and finding a similar tribal dynamic and actually seeing the dynamics we've identified operable within their context in different language. Yes. And so it was very helpful for me to get beyond the tribe and to begin to cross-pollinate ideas uh, among multiple groups that were evangelical, mainline, progressive, um, a lot of people not knowing what they are. Um, I have been studying intentional communities quite a bit in the past. I did my doctoral dissertation on that because I think that we're headed toward um, much hardship in, in ministry in terms of engagement of culture and church planting that having a rule of life and having a lateral commitment among a team around a an agreed upon discerned rule of life makes a ton of sense you know and and having that sort of tight well community toss right yes. in the midst of, of hard journey um i i've believed in that a long time and much of my coaching right now i'm a pcc level coach with the international coaching federation that has helped me immensely that's been a great grace um also developing trainings. I developed a training for uh, church planter coaches for Fuller this past year, Fuller Seminary and Cyclical Incorporated, another uh, church planting group among main lines mostly. And uh, just to have the opportunity to do that, Jeff, has been uh, greatly rewarding to my soul just to throw out ideas that Fuller and Cyclical said, just do a mind dump on, on some of your, your ideas. And I could recognize that many of the ideas I learned from my uh, brothers and sisters in community toss, you yes. know, and we, we don't claim final, like, pure generative, generativity when it comes to ideas. If we're really honest, you know, we're, we're relanguaging stuff that, that we've encountered elsewhere, most of us, sure. most of the time, and I'm in that category. <laughs> so. <laughs> But uh, well, Dan, I'm, I'm curious. I want to go back to uh, a statement you made because I, I want to make sure that our listeners, many of whom are probably U.S.-based listeners uh, that don't have a concept of uh, the church or community or faith even in Europe. You said, you said after 20 years living in Europe, coming back to the United States, you, you didn't recognize it at all or, or it felt foreign to you. Um, how would you describe, relatively simply, some of the different dynamics between faith community in Europe and, and what we have seen and are seeing right now in the U.S.? Yeah, a, a lot of what uh, I meant by, by dropping the word back from coming yes. to America was related to the fact that cultures are, are not static. I mean, they change even year to year, and there's so many subcultural layering and, uh, you know, so there was no America that was static that I could hope to come back and was familiar uh, territory. You know, when we, we came to Portland, it was very much 
um, in terms of its value structure and the way people lived and uh, the youthfulness of the city, uh, just, you know, a lot of those values are progressive. They intersect with a lot of where Europe is at. Yes. But um, that was probably one of the biggest ideas is that the, or the biggest things that we encountered that I think was similar to Europe and at least in Portland coming back was those values. And yet people didn't have a lot of distance and actually walking out those values. They were drawn to them. Whereas in, you know, in, in Europe, there's a greater uh, continuity and distance and expression of certain certain values, you know, and learning to exist in a pluralistic uh, framework. Mm. I think that I am as surprised as you are at how much the church has aligned with empire yes. here and within evangelicalism, that even surprises me even more uh, just because it tends to be so gospel focused and yet to be where we're at in that respect. I mean, but this was a, uh, you know, Europe was a post-Christian and much more post-post-anything ethos. And uh, that was very helpful to recognize how important, uh, you know, Newbegin's ideas and, you know, a lot of the modern missiologists have brought those to the table and, uh, you know, needing to express what we were doing for the sake of survival of the gospel and moving forward in Europe as, you know, an, a, a new and necessary practice for all churches and, and believers here in, in the United States. I don't like that word believers. I don't even know why I used it, but <laughs> the Christ followers, just because, yeah, Christianity just looks so uh, different than what we would expect it to look like if we were doing what Jesus asked us to do. You know, we talk about think, acting, and caring like Jesus. Yeah. And I don't think that's the predominant question um, of, of too many churches, uh, unfortunately. Um, so, Jeff, I don't know. I, I may not be uh, unpacking that question in the way that you intended it, but the going back was more about the cultural changes, and I wasn't expecting to find a static, but we had to become missionaries again. We told our kids mm. to this area just as we had learned to cross borders in Europe, mm. and I, I think more and more, um, all of us, as part of our discipleship, we just need to be border crossers and, and uh, be ready for that, and that means withholding a lot of judgments about all the change we're seeing and embracing in a non, you know, critical fashion some of the stuff that's coming at us so that we can assimilate it and, and not just react to it, you know? Yeah, yeah, well said. Uh, Newbegin, and I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but uh, one of the most profound things that I remember from his writings uh, is what the church desperately needs are people who actually live according to what they say they believe. Yes. Um, and... That is interesting that I don't think that we're seeing that much in, in practical community. Um, it, there, there seems to be more of an emphasis on doctrine, on, on orthodoxy, than on orthopraxy, right? So um, we can go deeper into that in just a moment. I, I am curious, though, and, and some of this might be reflected in your observations from Europe and the U.S., but 
speak a little bit to uh, form of church versus function of church and and maybe how um, the pendulum maybe has swung too far one way or the other or but but speak to that a little bit yeah I think that we're ever and, and this is probably something that is more I don't know characteristic of American culture much more so than European cultures at least most national cultures is we're very some have called us an Enneagram three culture you know for Yes. What people who aren't familiar, that's an achiever culture. We're very pragmatic. Enneagram threes can get a lot done, but they often don't know their own souls and what they truly want. They, they learn how to work things to their advantage and get a lot of great, wonderful things done. But when you apply that in mission, you know, that sort of pragmatism, um, you know, I think it begins to lead to a potential superficiality in the application of the things that Newbegin and a lot of others uh, were trying to get at, you know, miss, missional as an identity, missional not as a, as a something demanding a programmatic response first and foremost, you know, yes. and we tried to, to deal with this, Rob Fairbanks and Rob was, was president a lot with the infuse training. And the reason I named it infuse is that, you know, you put a, if you're making a good cup of British tea anyway, you put uh, your PG tips extra strong and, and bag in the cup and you let that sit a long time Yeah. Um, and, you know, infuse the flavor in there. And, you know, we're talking about much longer periods of time, but the idea of, of missional as an identity, it does need to be something that is sat in and imbibed in the midst of ac activity toward, but it's always a looping discernment about, um, you know, get where God would have us, uh, you know, act and where God would have us um, wait and respond. I, I do think that that pragmatic response has led to a lot of, uh, you know, just shooting our best before it's time to shoot our best, you know? Yeah. And, and so yeah so on the on thank you for that on the form side of things one of the things that i've appreciated so much about communitas is the acceptance of multiple forms um but a, a pretty strong focus on the function of yeah. the church you know so forms can be everything from charismatic uh to to liturgy to various yeah. forms of uh, of how we quote unquote do church, uh, but right. the function of the church, you know, sits in that communion, community, and mission space. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the, the you know to connect what you had asked uh, to the whole pragmatism element. I think that you know we latch onto ecclesiologies as a result. Ecclesiologies become solutions to a problem. And we we still the fact that we're still using launch language and church planting a lot, it's usually yeah. launching that worship service or um reading the latest literature, you know, whether it's on micro churches or whatever, these are these are brilliant additions and considerations for ecclesiological choice, but you cannot sidetrack the discernment of form that has to take place by that kind of calculated and, and time, you know, 
elongated immersion in context with a team and you know your your ecclesiology emerging from the soil of mission is you know that's what Newbegin and others of course yeah. uh, we're talking about and I just feel like we we haven't really graduated to that in the way the missional movement intended to take us to that you know we've still latched on mm-hmm. the latest and the greatest a technique and everybody runs to that and everybody's trying to to apply that in the finest way but it's like well maybe that's not you know the the form that that god has intended for that context and so i do think that the the three circles you know and and the the practice of that base rhythm of communion community and commission are still absolutely critical um, uh, up front with with mission on the predominant edge and on the discipling edge, that missional formation for the team engaging. And and that's critical to discerning a multiplicity of different forms, as we would expect, according to uh, church context, you know, and the people we're actually meeting. Sure. You know, and so... And, uh, the, I, I'm curious in the in the midst of that, um, you know, missional. We've been throwing that word around a lot for decades now. You, you were on the front end of of some of the thinking around uh, what it means to to live missionally, and words get co opted. And I know a lot of uh, faith communities have have kind of jumped on the bandwagon to say, "Well, we've got to get someone on our." staff to be trained to be missional um and and then they feel like that they've checked it off the the list um what does that yeah. mean really missional or or living missionally uh g- give us a definition of that i think missionally missional as originally intended by newbegin and bosch and others that begin to use that term you know, they might not even been the source of it. I think Andrew Jones talked about a different source even for that word. But mm-hmm. um, I, for for me, that that means a it's a deep kind of shalom derived identity and awareness that that we we recognize that you know theologically and practically that God is at work uh, ahead of us that that. God has outposts within cultures where the Spirit of God is working and tugging with the hearts of people. And Mm -hmm. so that missional, you know, is first and foremost about following those, you know, God kind of um, shalom elements out out in humanity and, and, uh, and working with those, but also paying attention to you know, the shalom within our own soul, because this becomes absolutely critical for the the sustenance and mission. And also it's, it's critical to refining our own discernment of what we see and find in culture. We have to find it in ourselves. And I'm not talking about individualistically. I'm talking only, I'm talking about uh, within, you know, those communal structures and teams we operate within. Um, I think missional is is really beginning to outstrip its usefulness as a word. To be honest, though, yes, um, you know it, it. It really, if I can just 
go on a ramble a little bit. I think that, you know, missional to me is an instrumental word. It's become a word, and this is perhaps tied into very much the pragmatism uh, of, of evangelicalism a, a lot, but mm -hmm. of our culture where, you know, God has a mission for the church and the world, and then God sort of sees us as instruments to achieve that, that mission. So when we're not doing missional things, you know, I think it was Dwight Friesen once said, you know, you're cutting your grass, you're doing other things like that. You can almost create a, a dualism where missional is about doing the most important things for God and living your life normally is, is kind of subpar and, I think somehow missional has to flow out of identity and it has to flow out of, um, you know, our, our own discernment and, and a holism, not, not simply God's got work for us to do. Let's get busy and let's stay at it. You know, um, I think right now, some of what Alan Hirsch and others were working at, you know, you have a church that's really kind of um, self-obsessed or navel gazing mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and have lost that sense of, you know, God being at, at, at work in the world. So I, I don't think that it's helpful to, uh, you know, to disenfranchise or unhitch from that, you know, the sense that this is great mission that God's got for his, his church in the world. It's just that I think that we really do need to incorporate a lot more of the, um, you know, the essence of um, motivation, also human longing. You know, I mm. think right now, Jeff, right, if you look at culture after, especially after COVID and all this, and but with all that, the things going on and the aches of human hearts and the grieving that's happening, I think that longing is the greatest motivation. This is part of why I coach because, you know, if you get play around in the soil of motivation, you can generate energy for almost anything. Yeah. And uh, I think that missional in terms of getting stuff done has to be surrendered to this missional trigger inside each one of us triggers the wrong word, but that, that kind of cattle catalyzing element within the soul of the church and within the soul of individuals, we really have to, to get back to that soil of motivation and work with it. And that includes also, you know, taking stock of uh, the church's ugliness <laughs> where we need to repent. Um, also taking stock of those that have been deeply hurt that are disillusioned, that are deconstructing. Um, so that so that when we do mission, we're doing it as a as a discerned and and you know energizing piece. Now it doesn't have to be easy to be energizing. I'm just saying that 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 driving the train is much more effective than God's got work for you to do. Get, get it done and get it done as fast as you can get it done. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really, that's really helpful, Dan. I appreciate that. Um, over the last decade, two decades, one of the things I've been striving toward is to live an integrated life. And, you know, early in my involvement in the church, not, not to disparage it, there, there was 
um, almost uh, a recipe for segregated li living. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you you're this way at some times during your life, and then you're this way at work, and you're this way at the local pub, and you know, it, you have all these different facades that you're that you're putting on, and, and that disintegration uh, ultimately will kill the soul. Um, so I appreciate how you're how you're saying that. Um, let, let's talk for a minute about the dynamic adventure, which is a phenomenal resource. It'll be in the show notes. Links to that. Um, you are one of the authors. And essentially, it's the culmination of close to 50 years of experience in church planting uh, and the various dynamics that we've witnessed that go along with that uh, development of communities of faith. Uh, and briefly, of course, those dynamics are embedding, uh, initiating, practicing, maturing, hubbing, and extending, mm -hmm. um, explained very well in, in the guide. Uh, just briefly, how did you come to those different terms and, and what do each of those mean in the life cycle of leadership and of a, a faith community? Yeah, you know, that was, that was of course, a communal effort. We, we had been processing a number of these and seeing the dynam dynamics uh, operable uh, for for some years, you know, way, way back to, to Linus, we were, you know, yeah. I think we had at one point we had named something inch, you know, <laughs> which I, I, I remember someone put that and I said, inch is probably not a great acronym for a church planning organization because yeah. <laughs> we want to take more ground than inches, you know, yeah. but um, it was, you know, there are certain elements here that um, we wrestled with. First of all, we use nouns and, um, you know, I, I wanted to turn those into verbs because if you have dynamics, you, you can't have nouns. These are, you know, re repeatable actions that we were observing. And we wanted to also accent that we were trying to describe things and not prescribe, yes. you know, uh, a method and to give people the freedom church planters the freedom and teams to begin to define their own ecclesiology their own ways of growing their communities forward and maturing those it, it did not have to look like some standard you know example or pattern or church or whatever what i noticed along the way you know we got a hold of the, the missional the embed and the initiate you know embedding that dna and much of that took us into a discernment discussion that, you know, because that that missionary discernment along those three core, practice, you know, clusters of missionary behavior that, that I outlined in uh, Dynamic Adventure and Growing Local Missionaries, that is a repeatable, e easy to pass on pattern. But more importantly, the, the nature of the Celtic knot, which interestingly, we have a Celtic knot now as a community, but in the center of that is God and discernment. Yes. And when teens learn that early posture of beginning to, you know, consult with God and with one another as they're interacting with culture, you got this kind of dialectic with God and the Holy Spirit and the community that begins to fine tune the hearing capacity of that team. And that has to be narrowed down. Some of that is so critical because 
you know, in the name of mission and justice, there's so much to do, Jeff. If we didn't have an initiate, we would kill ourselves. You know, you have to initiate a coordinated gospel sowing response. Otherwise, you're going to be trying to do way too much, and you're not going to settle on, um, you know, sustainable rhythms. And what we were missing in the midst of that, you know, so that's a discernment also toward a proclamation, you know, not just where, who you're going to mission among primarily, but, you know, how you're proclaiming and when and all that. But we, we lacked that practice. We did not have that in there. And I had been doing my, uh, you know, doctoral studies on intentional communities, missional orders, and realized, well, we have no core practices. And at the time, Linus says, well, I have some core practices. And he put them out there. I said, but that's that's different than Communitas coming up as an organization with its own practices. Interestingly, what you apply to churches, you can apply to any organization. These dynamics just don't apply to church plants. That's right. And I have seen that in working with, you know, organizations. Um, but you have to live into your um, your practice. I was thinking for us as Communitas and my response back to Linus, those may be great, and we may end up choosing those, but the fact is we have not together practiced those as a leadership team, and we're saying they're the organizational practices. Yes. And that began to trigger in my thinking, we need to apply this to church planting as well. Oftentimes, we're coming up with patterns of discipleship and practice that are, are downloaded, or they sound great, it might be bells, it might be whatever we come up with, you know, in, in the past, that was a popular one. Um, and, and yet we have not taken the time uh, as a team to find that transformational for our own souls mm. so that we can credibly invite others into it. So the practice dynamic came forward as a an absolutely critically needed element of leadership credibility um, also of winnowing out the entire kickers and those that had agendas that you're going to pull into new church plants, you know, right. yes, it gives you the ability to say, this is what we can assent to what we can say we're about in terms of vision. Um, it's also our Jesus way of life. We're finding some latitude of transformation. We invite you into this identity and way of life. And, um, we can say we're doing it too, you know, and and to me that that really invigorated um, a bit more the movement from uh, I don't want to be a church, you know. I remember when I was working with the Europe team, we dealt with that constantly. This sense of um, I hate what I know about a lot of churches, or there's a lot of reactivity. So we would say, well, don't focus on, you know having to become any form of church, just begin to practice and do the embed and initiate and see what the Spirit of God invites you to become. And that led to, you know, the mature dynamic. We used to call it church, churching. We called yes. it to church and then churching. And I, I thought that was so awkward because we're really talking about maturing, whatever form you, you know, you're working on. And that allowed us to begin to put the metric back in the hands of the teams to be able to say, you don't have to reach some 
ecclesia, certain ecclesial threshold and have to be like other churches, like Crossroads Amsterdam or Crossroads The Hague or you know whoever was out there. What you do need to ask is you have to ask Jesus what what this might look like when it grows up, mm-hmm. and what would be some of the you know we we provided the benchmarks. That was why Kelly and I wrote that book that the hallmarks of maturing toward church. I still think a good amount of those are are important discernment benchmarks because when people start answering those, we know about all communities, for example, that you know you have to mobilize an animated body of Christ with its members active and whatever form of church you're headed toward, maybe you don't even know, you do have to act activate the body. So how are you doing that? And how will you know? What's the evidence of progress if, if you make progress in that regard? Anyway, that helped us move from a sense of the wrong metrics. I wouldn't say that we strong, strong-handed metrics, but we had the wrong metrics. How many baptisms have you had? How many you know, connections have you had with people out, outside church? That's not, those aren't necessarily bad metrics, but defining progress and defining what it looks like and then coaching toward it um, leads to, to maturing. It tends to because it's, they're self-generated um, metrics and they operate within our wider you know, communal expectations that, that we don't want to just stop there. If God gives us the grace to be partnering, uh, you have a lot of church plants that have more apostolic verve and they can hub and extend. Right. You know, they might be able to hub, they maybe they can extend now, but they can have that cross pollination. They can tap into apostolic networks and I think that hub and extend, I reinterpreted because we were looking at hubbing as creating a hubbing dynamic within a a, a single church. Yes. You know, um, but I was arguing, well, why limit it to that? There's very few, you know, you might get an apostolic leader that's a serial planter that can create that environment in a church um, with the help of context, but... You know, very in a place like Europe <laughs> and other places, yeah, you have to concentrate on working with other groups and organizations and creating apostolic networks that you can fish out of and everybody else can fish out of, and you can mutually encourage each other and and then that hubbing um, find the way to keep your apostolic impulse strong and your community, you know, growing and participating in movement. Yeah, and so. All that to say, Jeff, I think those dynamics, they kind of, they maturated into the verbal forms. They, they are seen as overlapping and constantly active dynamics, not a linear. We used to call them a progression, and there might be a progression to them if you're parachuting into a context, but most church planters or a lot of church planters have already got a good lay of the land, um, or they you know, are in a city and they want to start something new. And so do, they don't have to relearn mission totally all over again. They can benefit and they can go faster. Uh, but if you're parachuting in, you're going to have to get that DNA working and you're going to have to keep that DNA active against the in, the, the turn inward, you know, because the, the first part is about, you know, the outward impulse, the, the, the second part is about cohering. <laughs> yes. 
you know, practice and maturing are about how do you cohere this into a sustainable, you know, discipling force, and right. and then how do you participate within movement and maintain the discipleship and man maintain your own sense of sustainability, given your own contextual factors and social location. Yep. Um, so, you know, that, that, that is, I think when I look at those, I still see, I look back and I see those practiced by other groups. It's funny. I, when I see groups come up with their own, these five things, these four things, these yeah. six things, I always relate them to like, well, what does that sound like? And what is missing there? That's a maximizer strength in, in me. I, I, I just want to see, well, what, and I, I, I think those are, st those are, are standing the test of time. Yes. Um, they're beginning to, we're getting some, a lot of stories of in communitas and elsewhere of those being a fruitful and helpful way um, to look at, the natural development of any kind of form of church that's yeah. missional, that's claiming to be missional. For sure. Yeah, I mean, the impact of, of that resource in South and Central America and now Eastern Europe um, and Europe and the United States and, and elsewhere uh, has been pretty profound. And uh, again, there'll be more information in the in the show notes about how to access that resource and, and other ways to, to be connected. Um, to wrap up, Dan, uh, and I know this is not a short question, but what are some of the biggest challenges you think leaders are confronted by, and what are some of the solutions? You spoke earlier to, to uh, spiritual health of leaders. Um, in our cultural context, how does that happen? Yeah, you know, I think that that leaders more than anything, they really do need to, to be aware of the things that um, take projects down. And I, I, you know, I wrote a little, little book and it was the culmination. I had circulated this among Communitas mm -hmm. as 12 challenges uh, that are common in church planning. And then I tested that more widely with some organizational leaders outside Communitas and church planners and came up with 10 pitfalls uh, that wrote a little book on it, um, 10 pitfalls and, starting new churches. And, you know, one of them, Jeff, right now, this is, this is something leaders got to be really careful with. And that's the negativity there. We're immersed in a sea of negativity and cynicism. And there's a lot of them. Number of the missional writers are kicking. They're, they're turning around and kicking the church. The church needs to be kicked toward repentance, but the church also <laughs> Kicking it ain't gonna isn't actually going to get what we we want, and some of that, the negativism by the people that are leaving church, um, the scapegoating has to stop. The prophetic is is running berserk right now, and it's doing a great job at calling out all the weaknesses and the, the things that we need to correct. But the role of the apostolic, we have to leaders, we need to to work with the Spirit's leading to start unifying the body of Christ. We are the most divided thing, and I, I don't know how you work that out in Jesus' prayers for unity, but that impulse 
you know, Hirsch says the apostolic brings together the prophetic divides. And I think that, you know, we need to accent the prophetic. The young, young want to hear that and they need to hear it, that we care and that we want, you know, leaders of organizations, especially that may be a bit older, need to recognize that, you know, we need to keep working toward the repentance and the change and the diversity and the, the things that need to change. But we, we have to, to focus on what we're for and not what we're against primarily. And it comes back to that simple maxim, you know, what is it that you're for yeah. as a, as a, as a team, as, as you look at the negativism, start naming it, start being thankful for what you name as a, as a ritual, a gratefulness ritual mm -hmm. on on what you love and what you hope to see and what you're seeing inklings of in the body of Christ. And don't, don't move in denial about the negative stuff, but moving forward with your head face toward the negativity and a faithfulness, Christ honoring reach of faith is a lot different than going backwards and looking at, I hate that. I hate that. We're not going to be that. We're going to be everything but that there's a point where leaders still need to turn that around. And especially now when you get, you know, I, I'm coaching planters and I'm sure you are too, Jeff, that they got deconstructors all around them and yes. disillusioned folks. And those folks need to process. They need to, you know, faith formation, and evangelicalism has not done a good job of faith formation. And a lot of the church is not um, a lot of liberalism by getting the gospel of Jesus hasn't helped either, mm -hmm. but you know, we, we really have to, to get back to um, the, the faith-filled belief that, that Christ is still the head of, of, of God's church and that, that we can uh, work in that positive vein. And we have to, I mentioned it before, discernment. That discernment has to be so key to learning what to say yes to and what to say no to, how to set the boundaries in our own social base uh, to uh, to stay thriving in a time of high negativity and giving ourselves the prerogative to share um, leadership as much as we can so that we're able to live into the holism, not only have time for people and culture, but have time for immersing our souls in what feeds them and our being with our family, being with those friends and those that bring life to our souls, just so that we're we're able to move ahead in in the midst of of the negativity and to continue to do the things that you know Newbegin talked about. We can't be aligned with empire and hope that you can have <laughs> positive result results for that. You know and. You know, so I think all the, the things are still intact. Maybe we need a new word, but the essence of, of, of missional leaders still need to continue to dig into that and embrace it uh, at the inside out, outside in level. But they also, we do need to help leaders, you know, particularly in the time ahead to grieve well, to let go of what can be let go to go of, but also to sit in what needs to be sat in. And that means slowing down the progress. That means metrics that actually are doable, that actually help, you know, teams become um, 
the kind of shalom pods they really want to be instead of just identifying shalom you know that they should be signs in little foretaste pods of shalom yes you know and it's a really hard time though jeff right now for um i think pioneers are better suited than pastors and shepherd types but i do think that i'm saying to apostolic leaders more and more you better find yourself a shepherd you know you need to share leadership and that's i'm not talking about someone that maybe can give you an hour to hear i'm talking about someone on your team that's able to commit to the nurture of of the core um, because there's just a bleed off so much of the carnage of the negativity and 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 the s needs to be in your your team core as soon as possible <laughs> otherwise you're going to have apostolic you know trying to make a mess of that and that team needs to really be a wisdom a circle as well that relates to discerning like I was I was talking about and um, letting the prophetic embody but the apostolic providing the rails for that and not letting the social justice prophetic so that pure purest desire and ideal is great but you cannot let it derail unity around the gospel and working with other groups we may not fully agree with and i'm talking about you know there's a people slicing doctrine way too thin yes and majoring on the minors and i i think that we got to get back to the gospel and shalom um you know i was reading howard snyder wrote something on shalom and means creation healed Jeff, right now, you know, he, he talks about, you know, alienation from God, alienation from oneself, and alienation from others are three key areas of the gospel. But the alienation from creation, we have just begun to touch on where the missional movement really hits that. And eco-spirituality has to come into play into our practices because and this is a prophetic area for me, we're destroying this planet a lot faster than um, we may realize. Yes. And we may save human lives on certain areas, but how much longer will we when we're destroying the ecosystems on which humanity um, is able to thrive and our children and so forth? And so we have a lot of work to do um, <laughs> that relates to those four alienations, I think yeah. Howard Snyder was right. And Shalom, um, we really have to become those, Andy Crouch said it, and we got it in Dynamic Adventure, but we have to become artisan, artists and gardeners. Um, we have to be creators and cultivators um, again, and in fresh new ways in the hope that God against the negativity um, can make, substantial major life-changing gains you know yes. and that's hard to believe and it's, i can't hold the line in that kind of faith unless i got you and right. and others saying it's still possible it's possible you got to keep right. pressing toward it because <laughs> man yeah. it, can, it can seem so daunting we absolutely need each other and i i think you know ultimately that relational aspect um is just so critical uh, we we can't run this race alone. We just can't. Uh, yeah. 
So the, two, the two questions before you go that, that yeah. I meant to say this, it's still, you know, we used to say that back in Europe when Brian McLaren came over, you're talking about postmodernism and all that, we're way past postmodernism. But there's still most critical questions for the church and for humanity, for leaders, is what is true and who is trustworthy? Mm. And we still need to, to move into that in confidence that, you know, we've been given a gospel and we've been given armed with a, a lot of grace-filled realities that are deeply, deeply needed. But we have to, we have to establish that um, sense of trustworthiness uh, as, as a people. And that means, that means we, we really need to work on that, that unity and discernment and, and not doing to culture, but being with culture and acting in response to culture, not how can we change culture for our ends and jump in, jump out quickly and get something going. It's like, no, you got to be in and you got to be working with, and you got to be working in response to what you're seeing. And otherwise it's going to go all can go sideways. Thank you so much for the insights and for your time here. Um, how can people reach you if, if they want to, uh, access you as a coach or or engage with you in some other way? Well, they can go to our, our website, artesiaresourcing.com, one word, artesiaresourcing.com. And, um, you know, they can write me at, um, you know, my my Gmail would probably be the most standard. They could write at dan at artesia.com, but um, they, dan at artesiaresourcing.com. Uh, or my Communitas email, the Communitas folks. I still use my email, go Communitas. Uh, so, and I'm coaching uh, community, some Communitas planters um, now, and that looks like it will expand. So, yes. Um, well, that's great. Uh, thank you, my friend. Uh, this has been a true, true joy. And uh, I look forward to many, many, many more conversations like this with you. Um, fortunate enough to have the kind of relationship where we get to interact on a regular basis. So yeah, I like thanks for being Jeff. with us today. Really appreciate that. You're very and welcome. You have been, what's that? I said, you're very welcome. And Oh, thank you. Hi to my Communitas friends. I, I wish I could just pop over to Europe and be there again. And, but I'm here and God has me here and we want to be as best of people we can be here. <laughs> Yes. In community and community of, a, of an organization in North America as well. I know we need to get our wings here more, but yep, they're coming. Yeah, they're coming for sure. You've been listening to the Communitas podcast. We are glad that you are with us. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please let your friends and neighbors know. You can find us on all the major streaming services. And also, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, leave some comments in the comment field.